So here we go. Uh, this is uh, a Christmas season, and I want to talk about uh, great anticipation this uh, Christmas season. We're going to be doing a series where we're preaching out of the book of Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophecy, a prophetic book, which just has so much in it. And it's sort of like a Christmas in a sense, where uh, a Christmas can be seen on so many different levels. The most popular and the most common level would be at a kid's level. You know, it's fun. We've got baby Jesus. Uh, you've got Christmas trees. It's family. It's, you know, a week off school. Uh, and uh, you get gifts and kids love gifts. And, uh, and that can be one dimension uh, of baby Jesus. But there's a whole other dimension which excites me a lot. And uh, that's looking at some of the depth that's involved as we get into the Christmas season from a uh, Christian perspective. Because we're really looking at two things. We're looking at the birth of Christ, which from an Old Testament perspective, which is what we're going to be looking at today, is an anticipated event. But of course, from our perspective, it's a historical event which happened in the past. But there's also... And this is the part that kind of gets me pretty excited about the Christmas season. There's also the anticipation of Christ returning. So we live in this season where it's between the times. Uh, We live in the season where we've already seen the prophetic prophecies fulfilled and Christ coming, but we haven't seen all the prophetic prophecies fulfilled with Christ returning. And so we live in this time where we start uh, thinking about that and uh, looking at that and anticipating that and get excited about that. But one of the things that I find when I speak to people that aren't Christians and that are really critical, for many folks, uh, I find that those that are not believers, you know, this is a time where they have to deal with... uh, society getting excited about Jesus and they can either minimize Jesus or ignore Jesus or just get offended by Jesus or or whatever. But when you're in dialogue with people, I don't know if you've come across this, but I come across this uh, somewhat uh, regularly. Uh, These are from folks that don't believe and they would get one attribute of God um, and zone in on that and be offended because another attribute of God doesn't seem to be uh, panning out for them. So, for instance, uh, you know, your kid has just got into college for the first time, and, and now they're uh, meeting with professors, and professors are, uh, to them seem very, very uh, smart, uh, and it's a whole new level of uh, uh, entertainment, or education, I should say, uh, or, uh, entertainment, uh, which you're paying for. But, uh, you know, whatever the professor says is just like, Got to be true. And uh, many are just not like avid followers of Jesus. And so you'd find comments coming out like this. Uh, If God is sovereign, uh, why would he allow uh, such a mess in this world if God is also all-loving? And so then, you know, the, the, either the professor or if it's not a, your, a, you know, your, your child, if it's just an average person that doesn't believe, uh, they would look at these attributes of God and say, well, isn't God all-powerful? And if God is all-powerful, why is he allowing such a mess in this world? 
Or if God loves people and he loves us personally, how can he allow these things to be happening? And so we, they take one attribute of God, his sovereignty, his all-powerfulness, and then they you know, contrast it with uh, the fact that he's not all-loving or he's not all-caring or he's not all-personal, or so it seems. And then we get a book like Isaiah, and man, it's like, have you not read the book of Isaiah? Because you would never make statements like that. Uh, when you read the book of Isaiah, you see the sovereignty of God, the fact that God does have a plan, that God is large and in charge, and that God has an end plan and a middle plan, and we part of that plan, and that plan is unfolding. And as it unfolds, there's a lot of mess, and there's a lot of chaos, and there's a lot of heartache, and there's world peace, and there's world unpeace and disorder, and you see God's sovereignty woven through the story. And as you read Isaiah, you know, 700 years before Christ, the book is written. And you read, and it's like, is this like the New York Times? This like seems very similar to what's happening today. I mean, there's so much in the book which you can say, this, is, this, this applies to us, this applies to our day. And so as we read the book of Isaiah, or as you read the book of Isaiah, you want to do two things simultaneously. You want to read the book and try and not jump straight away to how it affects you today. You want to just try and figure out how does this apply to the people in that day. And then you want to read the book on another level and you say, how does it apply to me today? And then when you look at some of the very incredible prophecies in this book, you want to ask the question, what did it mean to those people in that day? And has this prophecy already happened? Or, and, or is it going to still be happening? Or is it sort of happened on one level, but it's going to happen on another level? And it's all of the above. So, I mean, it's, a, it's just a terrific book. And when we think of that backdrop, man, there's a lot more going on from a, a, a Christian perspective as we move into to, to Christmas, as we get into the anticipation of, uh, of Christmas. Ultimately... We're all going to be uh, faced with this dilemma of who you're going to trust. Uh, ultimately, Christmas pushes this point. It's like, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the story of God? Are you going to believe the story of Jesus? And not only are you going to believe it, but where are you going to trust or who are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in yourself and your own intellect? Are you going to trust in your, your professors and what... They say only, are you going to be uh, trusting in world governments? Uh, are you going to be, who are you going to trust? And uh, the book sort of pushes us to say, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Do not put your, your trust in corporations. Don't put your trust in powerful people. Don't put your trust in, in governments or government leaders. Put your trust in Jesus. I mean, this is what the refrain would be of the book of Isaiah. But the fantastic thing about this book is it's based in history. You can say, okay, this isn't just a concept. This was a historical period which we know about, which we know existed, which we could see what God did, and we could see how the, the Jewish people were incredibly blessed when they followed God. But when they disobeyed God, they were incredibly like unblessed. Or let me just say, cursed, as Isaiah would say. They became cursed because of their own disobedience. So you see this 
from an Isaiah standpoint, you see this in sort of neon lights, that when we work with God, when we believe in God, when we have faith in God, things go really well on an individual level and on a corporate level and on a national level. But when we walk away from God, things go really badly, individually and globally. And so Isaiah is saying, God is in charge. He's in charge of these events. We as humans can't derail the big plan that God has for this universe and for us. And so it's, it's just really uh, an exciting uh, book from every, uh, from every aspect. Uh, let me just uh, open in pray, uh, prayer as we, as we move into this. And, you know, Psalm 80, it says, <laughs> I love, the, uh, I love this, the psalmist's plea here. He says, God, you know, will you turn my heart towards yourself? And I thought, you know, that's a, like really a good prayer. You know, it's like, I don't have faith, but God, will you give me faith to have faith? <laughs> will you turn my heart towards you? I don't, my heart's not naturally turning towards you. I need your help. Uh, but, you know, that's a great starting place. And, and so, Lord, I just pray today, would you turn our hearts towards you? Lord, wherever we're at, uh, wherever we might be so distracted, uh, so busy, but Lord, can you turn our hearts towards you? And Lord, I just pray as I preach today, as I read your word, would you put power on your word? Lord, would you just uh, allow your spirit to move? Lord, would you speak to us the way that only you can? Lord, I just thank you that in the midst of despair, you give us hope. And Lord, as we move into this Christmas season, I pray that you'd fill us with joy and with hope and with anticipation because you are a great God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you uh, open your Bible, if you have one, to, uh, or you click on your phone and go to Isaiah chapter 1. I, you know, Isaiah is obviously a pretty big book, a long book. There's no way you can preach uh, uh, you know, it, it, each chapter unless you want to commit a, a couple of years to doing that. So uh, today I want to cover chapter 1 through chapter 7. Uh, that's a pretty big sweep. But uh, let me say this much. Uh, chapter 1 through chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah is all like an introduction. And uh, it's a kind of a fantastic in introduction uh, culminating in Isaiah saying, Lord, you know, here I am. Uh, use me amidst this brokenness. Uh, I want to be your servant. Uh, and you see the six, uh, five chapters before that building up, giving us a feel of where uh, Jeru uh, Judah is. The, 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 you know, Israel got separated in the northern territory, Israel in the southern ter territory, Judah. And uh, Judah was like the more faithful uh, part of the, uh, the Jewish nation uh, until the end. But then they also ended up being unfaithful. And and uh, Isaiah is taking us right to that point. But uh, let me just uh, read here, pick it up here from the beginning, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. Now again, just that broad statement. He's talking to the heavens and the earth. I mean, this is like God being big. This is large and in charge God. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Okay, this is God's charge against His chosen people. He said, I chose them, I've cared for them, I've done nothing but good to them, but they've rejected me. 
He says, even an ox knows its owner and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people. Ouch. I mean, like this is God saying, these are my chosen people and they have become evil people. I mean, that's pretty severe. Corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Now get this, verse 5. Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. Look, there's a little key right there on the sovereignty of God. Uh, when we complain about God being, uh, you know, not getting involved in our lives or involved in the nation, national affairs, or it's like God is saying, you have allowed wickedness to prevail. Your own free will has got consequences. And so verse 5 says, why do you continue to invite punishment? God is saying, I'm not punishing you. God is saying, you have allowed yourselves to be punished. You're allowing evil to take its own uh, course. You have rejected me who is good, and you've invited, knowingly or unknowingly, that evil should prevail and, and happen. And God is saying, I want what's best for you, but it only comes one way, and that's through me. And the New Testament would say, through Jesus. Uh, it doesn't come like just by trying to be a good person or uh, you know, pretending you're a good person. It comes because you believe in Christ, and Christ is the answer to help you navigate the waters. Then in verse uh, 25, uh, as Isaiah does frequently, there's the, the book <clears throat> oscillates between being very hard and uh, judgmental, uh, and then it offers incredible love and incredible hope. And it goes backwards and forwards. It's judgment and hope, judgment and hope. And uh, in verse 25, we pick up the hope part. I will raise my fist against you. I will melt you down and skim off your slag. I will remove all your impurities. Then I will give you good judges again and wise counselors like you used to have. Then Jerusalem will, be, will again be called the home of justice and the faithful city. Zion will be restored by justice. Those who repent will be, <coughs> excuse me, will be revived by righteousness. So the Lord is saying, look, I have a plan. My plan, my plan <clears throat> will prevail. And I do want to bless you. And I want to bless you by the place that you live in is ruled by people that have justice, that are good judges, people that will take care of you, people that will make good, <clears throat> good decisions, not, not bad decisions then we must come to the conclusion that God is really large and in charge. God is really great. This is a great God that we serve. But it's only by God's grace. It's not by our smarts. It's not by our abilities. It's by God's grace. When we, when we get this concept that God loves us, God is for us, but it's by God's grace. And if we will obey God and work with God, Good things will happen to us individually. Good things will happen to us corporately or as a country. And then I'll, we move on to chapter 2. And I would say 
in chapter 2, we talk about world peace. I mean, you talk about big concepts. You know, here's God saying, wait, only I can bring world peace. Uh, and we live in a time where, you know, we have never experienced world peace. I mean, we might experience peace here in America, but from an international standpoint, you know, there's just like wars and rumors of wars and constant wars, and we thought that the First World War would be the last war, and then Second World War would be the war to end all wars, and, you know, it's just like, there's just constant war. And yet, this is what God says, and here we have to read this on several levels. Now, this is chapter 2, verse 2. It says, in the last days, and of course, that begs the question, well, when are we talking about? When is the last days? And from Isaiah's standpoint, this was a future talking uh, statement. And some of it, much of it has already come to be, uh, meaning the birth of Jesus and uh, the anticipation of uh, Jesus being peace and that we can experience peace personally. It doesn't have to be internationally, but we can experience peace in the last days when Jesus comes. But on the other hand, we know that there's the last days is also going to talk about when Jesus returns. And uh, we haven't yet uh, received that. But anyway, uh, just let's, let me read this. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised up above the other hills. The people from all over the world will stream there to worship. And we can say, yes, that's already happened. Uh, that's already happened where Jesus was born, where people uh, you know, have gone to Jerusalem, where the temple was built, where people from all around the known world were coming uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, and yet on another level, we could say, but people today are still making pil pilgrimages to, to Israel. There's still something which is fascinating, which draws us to want to go to Israel to not only walk the streets where Jesus walked, but it's like there's some mystical draw that we want to just like experience the place. Uh, and yet there's also a future uh, anticipation of like, okay, so when the Lord returns, uh, you know, where is this going to be? And will that be the, the fulfillment? And so there's a part of this already happened, part of it we still anticipate. Verse 3, people from many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. And we would say, well, Jesus did exactly that. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. It certainly has. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. And I don't think that's happened quite yet. I mean, we've got the, you know, the EU and the, you know, every other organization trying to create uh, world peace and uh, United Nations and, you know, President Trump and whatever. It ain't happening the way this verse is talking about. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation, nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. I mean, this is a wonderful picture of what life should be like, what God wants life to be like, and what we actually hugely desire life to be like. And so, you know, this Christmas season, it's this like, God, you are so big. You are so large. You are so in charge. We want to experience these promises that you are 
that you're talking about. We want to experience world peace now. And uh, so we, we, we say, God, look, you have a plan. Your sovereignty, your ability will culminate in this eventually. And even when we say eventually, we you know, we know we, we battle with time. And uh, we think, okay, when exactly is this going to happen? And so if we move on to Isaiah chapter 3, we would say this. We realize we will enjoy a rich reward. Uh, and we know that this reward that we will enjoy would be both currently as we walk with the Lord and a reward in the future in eternity. And they're both very appealing to us. And so Isaiah says this, he says this in chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, Tell the godly that all will be well for them. They will enjoy the rich reward they have earned, but the wicked are doomed, for they will get exactly what they deserve. You know, the Lord is saying, at some point, justice will take place, and those that have deserved to be rewarded, those that deserve to be blessed, will be blessed. And it's a future and a present promise. It's like we can experience that in part now and we can anticipate the fulfillment of that in the future. And we live with that tension. Now, even in the Bible, many have like really battled with some of these promises of God. You know, you think of the book of Job uh, or the writer of Ecclesiastes. Uh, these are people which have said, God, like, where is your justice? You know, how can all these bad things be happening? And you're just such an awesome God. You're so powerful. And they've wrestled with that. And uh, God is saying, yes, we too can wrestle with this. Uh, or Psalm 119, verse 81 says this, I am worn out waiting for your rescue. I'm worn out. I mean, I, you know, I love the Psalms. You can be so real. I'm worn out waiting for your rescue. Or if you personalize that, you can say, God, I've been praying and praying, and you tell me I'm going to have peace, and I'm going to be blessed, but like I'm not seeing it. I'm not experiencing it. But then it says, but I have put my hope in your word. So, you know, the psalmist is saying, let me explain to you my situation. What I'm feeling is my pressure point. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling just depressed. I'm feeling like things aren't great. But besides the way I feel, I'm going to like force myself or I'm going to will myself or I'm going to, you know, show up at church because I want my focus to be on God because I'm going to say God will give me faith and God will get me through despite the way I feel. God is good and God is loving and I can connect with God even if I don't feel like it. And God is saying, yes, this is exactly uh, what, I, what I'm doing. Uh, you know, as a New Testament believer, we say we have the Holy Spirit and He's with us and He's helping us and He's empowering us. But in Isaiah's time, there's this anticipation of, okay, we're going to be rewarded. There is a sense that uh, God is for us. Finally, the scales will be corrected. How great is our God? Our God is great. When we realize our sorry condition and God's great plan. One of the things that God is asking us again and again is to take stock of how sorry our condition is. It's to take stock of how sorry the world condition is. It's not like, you know, 
because of our scientific advancements, things are just getting better and better, and people are just happier and happier, and uh, you know, all the promises of IT, we're going to be so bored because you know, all these robots can do everything around our house, and how are we going to even fill up our days? And you know, little do they know that you know, we get like an iTunes card from the Vineyard Church, and it just like blows up your, your cell phone, and you spend like six hours trying to get a music song to play, you know, when you thought you'd just have like three minutes of like just awesome pleasure listening to this music. You know, I mean like, yes, things are advancing and yes, we, we're learning more, but it's not like we're happier or it's not like we're advancing in so many areas. I mean, we're not. And what God is asking us to do is to like take stock of the problems in your own life, the problems in this world, and take hope that God is large and in charge. So if we look at Isaiah Chapter 5, verse 18 through 22. It says this, What sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. They even mock God and say, Hurry up and do something. We want to see what you can do. I mean, this is the refrain of so many teenagers today or agnostics today. You know, God, what are you doing? Can you do anything? You're not doing anything. We don't see anything from you. Therefore, you don't exist. And God is saying, just because I'm silent, just because people aren't necessarily seeing what I'm doing, God is saying, I'm still large and I'm still in charge and I do exist. But let me read. Let the Holy One of Israel carry out His plan, for we want to know what it is. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. And you're like, wait, is this the New York Times I'm reading? Is this the Wall Street Journal? Or is this Isaiah, you know, 700 years before Christ? I mean, like, okay, what frat house haven't you been in where some kid is like the hero of the frat house because I can drink so much without falling over. Or I drink so much and I do fall over and I'm still the hero. Or, you know, I can drink like six packs upon six pack and Joey can only drink two. What a loser he is. I mean, that's just like, what's changed? It's like, it's nothing new. You know, like, is this really the highlight? Is, this, is that really the goal? Like, how much alcohol you can hold and consume? I mean, and you're like, yeah. And then making good evil and evil good. I mean, how many things in our society today which we just know are morally wrong? And people are saying, no, they're not wrong. They're right. And you should embrace them and enjoy them. And it's like, wait, this is completely at odds with what God's w- Word is saying. And we... We're trying to make, you know, things back to front, upside down. And God is saying, no, no, no. Do it my way. Do it my way. Live my way. And then finally, we get to uh, the Christmas part of this message so powerfully in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And in the first glance, this is so out of context, but it's such an awesome verse. It says this, All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And this just becomes an incredible uh, you know, prophecy. Again, think of this 
in what it's saying. 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah is saying Jesus is going to be born. And his name is going to be Emmanuel. And you'll get many Christmas cards today, this season, which say Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Well, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's God with us. I mean, it's an incredible promise that has been fulfilled. Uh, you know, again, just think of this. Think of the sweep of history. For people that say, you know, I don't see God and God's all-powerful. All Look, his, history has shown us that Israel was actually a nation that these people really did live there. And when they followed God, God really did drive out all the enemies. And when they gave up on God and they did their own thing and they became so super smart and they thought they could do everything their way and they abandoned God's way, God let them have what was due them. And their enemies invaded them and they became decimated and they got like totally destroyed and eliminated. And then God did the impossible thing that only God can do. He took a people that had been dispersed amongst all the other nations and brought them back to Israel afterwards. You know, every society in those days, the way they would destroy the society would be to annihilate you and then to integrate you into their people so that you couldn't be distinguished as a people group anymore and that you'd never become your tribe again. And Israel, the only nation where this never happened, where they became a nation again, miraculously, God pulls them back and brings them back to Jerusalem and back to Israel, and they screw up again. You know, and even in that, God says, but I've always had a plan because Jesus is going to be coming. I'm going to send myself, my son, personally, and it's going to be my plan that we can have peace, where we can experience peace, where we can know Jesus, and there'll be a new testament, a new covenant. And God is making this promise to us, this blessing to us. He says, I am large and in charge. And despite what you see happening in your personal life or in world affairs, God has a plan, and it's an organized plan of where this is coming to a, a conclusion. And we think, well, when is that going to happen? Well, you know, in the scope of things, it could happen any time. I mean, all the promises that God has been giving us in the Bible about like when, God, when Jesus is going to return, we could say, man, we are like in that time. I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the signs that God has told us about. There'll be rumors of wars. There will be wars. There'll be floods and, and, you know, famines and martyrs. I mean, more people are dying today because they have faith in Christ than at any other time in human history. I mean, think about what's happening in the Middle East. I mean, Christians have just been decimated. Uh, and, yeah, any point. And the, the Bible has gone out, again, IT, electronically, pretty much to every tribe, nation, and people group in the world. I mean, it's just an incredible thing uh, what has happened and what is happening. And the sign of the times are really, really interesting. We live in an incredible time. But God is saying to us in all of this, He's saying, do you know me? Who will you put your trust in? Where are you going to find peace? Do you have joy? Do you anticipate having some sort of hope in your life. And Jesus is saying, I have come to give you hope. I've come to give you joy. I've come to take all those burdens and carry them on my shoulders. All you need to do is focus on me. Be loved by me. Allow me to love you. Allow me to provide for you. And, and, and our response is to say, yes. God, we don't have to figure this all out. We just have to have faith in you. We have to have de dependence on you. And God is saying, well, will you? 
And so we remind ourselves of this Christmas season. Will we? Will we give up? Will we give up all our desires and our controls and our hopes? And will we put them in Jesus? And if we will, God is saying, I will give you a rich and rewarding life. I promise you this. So uh, let me just uh, end and say, this book of Isaiah is an incredible book. And God is large and in charge. And we can say, God, you are just a great God. How great thou art. You are just an incredibly big God. We've seen you move in history. We've got evidence of what you've done. We have anticipation of what you're going to do in the future. Jesus, you have become very personal to us. You've made a way for us to know the Father. You've made a way where we, ought, we can ask you for forgiveness for everything that we've done wrong. And we can ask you to help us today as we face tomorrow. And so we say, what a gift. What a gift the birth of Christ has been as we anticipate the joy of this season. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you that you are willing to come as a human, to be misunderstood, and yet you are fully God. So Jesus, we just delight in what it is that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we give you our own anxiety and problems, and uh, we ask you, Lord, to even guide us and provide for us and give us your joy and your peace. And Lord, we just take delight in your presence. Lord, we take delight in doing what you want us to do, which is to focus on you and to worship you and to recognize that you are sovereign and you're also loving and that your will will come to be. So, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.